like that's how I approach not just work, but everything. I just approach like I have to have the things that I need to be able to deal with whatever situation that I am. And if I don't, then like I don't want to approach that situation. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Cast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and this season is all about the Enneagram at work. And today, we start making our way through the head triad, our thinkers. So our type fives, the investigator, the wise person. We're going to be looking at some of the ways that fives relate and operate in a work setting. But also, we're going to have some tips, not only for fives, but also for folks that work with a five. So stick around for those helpful tips. So as we look at fives at work, we're going to be using the five truths about work that we looked at in episode 46. So as a reminder, those five things are work starts with God, work is good, work serves a greater purpose, work is not the way it should be, and work is redeemed through the gospel. Yeah. Okay. So in light of all that, let's go ahead and dive into type five, the investigator at work. The first truth in talking about work is that, number one, work starts with God. And here's what that means for a five. Five, you guys reflect God's truth, God's wisdom, the ability to weigh lots and lots of different facts and figures, take massive amounts of information and make them digestible for everybody else. So you bring perspective Mm -hmm. into your workplaces. And these attributes, they are displayed in your true self. So that naturally leads us to truth number two, which is that work is good. God created work to be a good thing. And we see that he also created fives as a good thing, complete and whole in their true self. So let's talk about some of the good qualities and characteristics that healthy fives bring to the workplace. So the first thing I think of is that they're just really skilled at compiling data, analyzing, and presenting information in a really clear and user-friendly way. Yeah, I do. I think about folks that they read tons and tons of books, and then Mm -hmm. they go like, well, here's the basic thing you need to know out of all the things that I've read. Let me just distill it down for you. Also, fives are really good about keeping appropriate boundaries with coworkers. Fives just, they kind of know where some of those relational lines are Mm -hmm. and they know how to keep them in an appropriate way. So fives rarely get into like inappropriately enmeshed relationships with coworkers. Yes, which leads to what I was thinking, which is that they're very low in the drama department. Yeah, right. They're not going to be really gossiping about their other coworkers or getting upset or taking things, you know, really sensitively. They're going to be really calm and even tempered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're really objective as well. So where their coworkers may be prone to big emotional reaction or we got to do something right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be a you know an urgency to to storm the castle. The five tends to go. Hold on, let's let's weigh everything out. Like let's think through this mm-hmm. and look at it objectively, and then make an informed decision. 
You know, it actually makes me think of, I used to have this coworker when I worked at the homeless shelter who was a type five and he was our program director. So he was working with guys that were in recovery, coming out of addiction, coming out of homelessness. Inevitably, something terrible would happen. You know, a guy would relapse, a guy would use, a guy would steal. And the rest of us would kind of have these big reactions. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. And he did such a good job of, hold on, let's look at the facts. Let's weigh out the whole scenario. And let's think about what's going to come if we take these courses of action. He did such a good job of just slowing us down. But he wasn't overly detached either because he was, you know, he was emotionally engaging with the guy that we were serving, mm. but he just brought such a an evenness and objectivity to it all. Yeah. They're great about bringing up thinking when the rest of us are feeling or doing. Right, you know, right. They stay even with the mind. So that leads us to number three, which is work serves a greater purpose. And that purpose is relationships. All of our life is relational. And even if you want to use your workplace as a mission field for the gospel, that has to start with first building relationships. Yeah. You know, in a common relationship often seen in the workplace, it's that of a supervisor and a supervisee. And for fives, you know, they tend to prefer being supervised. Mm -hmm. But let me clarify what that means. They don't prefer to be the person in charge, but they do prefer to have a high level of autonomy. Mm -hmm. So they want to be able to be given their tasks, entrusted with those, allowed to fulfill those, but they do not want to be micromanaged. Um, yes. But they also don't necessarily prefer to be the person that is having to tell 15 different subordinates all their duties and responsibilities. That's kind of relationally taxing for a five. Mm -hmm. So it's like, hey, give me my marching orders, show me what I'm going to do, and then give me the trust and the freedom to go and get that done. Right. So even though fives may prefer not to be the one up front, when they are in the supervisor position, they have great qualities that they offer. So we talked a little bit already about they're very appropriately professional. So when they're at work, they're going to be professional. They're not going to bring in any extra drama or a lot of emotions. They communicate very clear and concisely. And what that might look like is that you will never have a meeting that could have been an email. Like, yeah, that is right, not a meme right. that will apply to the five. Yeah, totally, totally. And they're also great at analyzing situations and really thinking through, you know, the big picture and the details and then making a best course of action. Yeah. So the first three truths are work starts with God, work is good, and work serves a greater purpose. So all these truths show us that fives have so many good qualities that they bring to the work environment. Yes, but anybody with a heartbeat knows work isn't always this good or ideal, which actually brings us to truth number four. Work is not the way that it should be. You know, because of sin, everything is affected by brokenness, including our work. And for fives, that means that not only can they bring their true self to work, but their false self also comes along with them. A lot of the false self for the five comes out in the form of their deadly sin, which is greed, specifically relational greed, or their idol, which is knowing it all. So let's take a look at some of the specific ways that sin, this false self, shows up at work for the five. First, sometimes fives can take boundaries too far, meaning that they always want to be alone. They never want to be interrupted. They become so autonomous. Mm -hmm. uh, there can be times where they can become resistant to collaboration, mm -hmm. where they are a part of a team, but they like refuse to be a part of the team. Yeah. 
Yeah, they can become annoyed or impatient at anything that is, quote unquote, wasting their time. So meetings, idle chit chat, those kind of things can really give them that snobby air where they're just like, can we please just do the work? Mm -hmm. They can also sometimes sit on a decision way too long because they want to have all the information before they make a move. So they can get stuck in research mode Mm -hmm. where it's just, I need more, I need more, I need more. And then, of course, this leads to that issue that leads to that issue that leads to that issue. And it becomes just this impossible, endless task. And the five just fails to make a decision. Right. And all of these things can kind of make the five unrelatable. You know, if they're never engaging or showing interest in other people because their focus is only on the information and not the people involved, that can make work relationships really unpleasant for everybody else. Yeah. You know, another way that we see the false self manifest at work is through our stress arrow. Work can often be stressful. And when a five gets stressed, they can actually move into the seven space. So what does that look like? Yeah, a lot of people are surprised to think about a five going to the seven, you know, being spontaneous and fun. So what that might look like for a five is that they become more erratic in their work. Maybe they get onto this project and then they get on that project and they're researching over here and then over there and they're kind of disorganized with their thoughts. Mm -hmm. So they're still very much up in their mind castle, but it's they're kind of running from room to room in their castle. Mm -hmm. I can tell when my five friends are not in great places when I walk in their office and their office looks like crazy town. Mm -hmm. Like it's just papers everywhere. Mm -hmm. If I'm texting them and they're just not responding anymore, they're not responding to emails. There's just a sense of disorganization. And then and the other side, too, is that, you know, some fives, when they get really stressed out, go to the really low side of seven, which gets into the issue of self-medication. Yeah. They can't stop their brains from going all the time. And they begin to take on sort of addictive qualities, you know, that really harm their work. But like all the rest of the numbers, when they see themselves going to their stress arrow, they can use that number to find tools to bring them back to a healthy place. So seven can actually be some great stuff for a five to pick up, you know, to be a little bit more social, to be a little bit more in with their coworkers. You know, they can do some more spontaneous things to bring them back to a healthy spot and then go back to their work. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you want to know more about stress and how to handle it well, go back and listen to episode number 42, which is all about the Enneagram and stress. Okay. So, so far we've seen that work starts with God, work is good, it serves a greater purpose, but it isn't always the way it's supposed to be. So the question is, how do we get back to the original design that God created? Well, the answer is in the fifth and final truth. Work is redeemed through the gospel. So each type has a particular message that God speaks to them. It's a message of both forgiveness and healing. We talked about this at length in season three. And the message that God speaks to the five is, your needs are not a problem. Yeah, First Peter 5, 7 says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. When the five learns to hear and accept this message in their work, it frees them to grow in their virtue and step back into their true self in Christ. Yeah. You know, many Enneagram sources teach that the virtue is what changes us. But we would actually say that it's the gospel. It's Jesus himself that brings change and renewal. And the virtue is simply the outward fruit of that inward change. And that virtue that the five begins to display is generosity. 
Yes, that means financial generosity, but it especially means relational generosity. It means that you give of yourself to other people emotionally, physically, financially, um, but you find ways to share yourself. I would add to that that God also puts people in your life to care, to carry your burdens. You know, he talks about carry one another's burdens. And so your burdens are not a problem. And they might actually help you move to generosity when you experience the generosity of others towards you. Yeah. So the question is, how can we lean into this virtue at work? And that brings us to the final segment of our teaching. It's time for Tips for Types. So these first four tips are for the type five at work. The first one is lean into your growth arrow. And for five, that's going to be the eight. So you're going to have to get some of that eight energy and focus and power and use it in your workspace. Yeah. And the eight energy is about physically showing up for the life that you're living. It's about being present in the room, speaking up and really leveraging your thoughts and your skills for the sake of others. Yeah. Number two, plan for times during the day when you will engage with others. You know, it's okay to retreat and recharge. We understand that you are very aware of your energy levels, of your gas tank, uh, but make sure that you are also relating to other people. Fundamentally, as Christians, we believe that life is about relationships. So make sure that you are spending your energy engaging with other people. Right. And that leads to number three, which is Put all your love of studying to relational use. You can study nonverbal cues. You can familiarize yourself with emotional words. You can even print off like an emotions chart, like a little wheel that will teach you all different emotional words. And you can use them for yourself, but also for your coworkers. You know, what are they feeling? What are they going through as you work on this project? So you want to be aware of what's going on with your coworkers because we all spend so much of our lives at work. You know, we need to care for the people that we work with, not just focus solely on the information. Yeah, it can be exhausting if you go to work and it's like an emotional roller coaster, Mm -hmm. but it also can be really harmful when there's no emotional connection. Right. And so the journey for the five is to find that balance. Tip number four, set a deadline or a time period for yourself to reach a decision. Okay, guys, we know you're not great at quick decisions. We don't expect you to be. So tell your coworker or your boss that you're going to get back to them, but then make sure you tell them when you will actually get back to them. A deadline will help you know which areas to focus on and which facts are the most important so that you can make a decision and move forward in life and not get stuck. Okay, so those are some tips for the five, but relationships go both ways. So if you're not a five, but you have a type five coworker, here are four tips to help you relate to fives. Number one, respect their need for space. Popping in unannounced on a five does not go over well. If you see that they're in deep on a project, just wait till later to pop in and say hello. Yeah, or, you know, drop them a message on Slack or ask Mm -hmm. when you can swing by. Mm -hmm. Um, But if a five's in their mind palace, they may not be taking (laughs) guests at this moment. (laughs) Yeah. Tip number two, be as concise and objective as you can with communication. If you are really long-winded and you're really emotional, you're definitely tempting the five to begin to check out of that conversation, especially in a work environment. Right. Number three, 
be professional. Fives are at work to work and not socialize or goof off. So that really goes along with what we've already been saying. But if you're in a meeting or you're trying to get something done, that's not a time to just be being silly and looking at puppy videos on your phone because the five really does like to stay focused on the work. Yeah, they enjoy being experts and scholars. Mm -hmm. So if you're just, you know, wasting time, that is holding them back from being able to be, you know, the wise person that they really feel Mm -hmm. called to be. Tip number four, encourage them to display emotions, but don't force them to show more excitement or anger just because you think that they aren't responding as much as you are. You know, the five is likely responding in their head, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to come out on their face. It doesn't mean that they're going to sit there and cry in front of you or get really emotive. Trust them that they're working through it. So they may not showcase all the emotions. Encourage them, though, to engage Mm -hmm. their emotions But don't expect too much because they may not be in a place to give that to you. Right. You can create a safe space without demanding that they then perform in that space. Yep. Okay. So those are our tips for types. When we come back, we'll be speaking with software designer Kamiko Muwanguzi. Stay with us. Hey, it's Anna, the media editor. Recently, I've been taking some time to ask our alumni how serving with Love Thy Neighborhood has impacted their lives. Kemi Badana served with us for a summer and worked at ReCenter Ministries, serving the homeless community here in Louisville. In her email to me, she also said this, My time in LTN taught me the value of community and taking the time to recognize those around me. LTN also helped me prepare for my future ministries of working with the outcasts and unseen of society while giving hope of the gospel. If you want to find your internship where social action and Christian community meet, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Again, that's lovethyneighborhood.org. Welcome back to the IndiaCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Our guest today is Kamiko Muwanguzi. Kamiko works in fields that merge technology and creativity. She previously lived in Los Angeles working as a sound designer for video games and short films. She's currently a software developer where her projects include web apps, robotics, and virtual reality. She lives in Louisville, Kentucky with her husband and two kids, and she's a five on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Kamiko. Thank you. Okay, so let's just start here. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your job, and can you tell us some about your work environment? Okay, so I'm a software developer. I work on and build software applications. I fix them when they're not working correctly or they're doing weird things. My environment right now, because of COVID, is 100% remote, which is awesome. Before COVID, I went into the office and it was honestly the social interaction and most of the conversations for the developer department happens all online anyway. So going into the office just seemed kind of to me like a waste of time and gas. There's not a lot of like interpersonal relationships going on. Um, you mean between... you mean a whole bunch of software developers aren't all just hanging out and talking all the time? <laughs> It was pretty like a library in there. Um, (laughs) But I mean, I would have conversations when I needed to with people and they always were fine. It's just that any kind of activity that was happening, you know, was in like a group chat or 
happening over our message boards or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love the fact that you're like a waste mm-hmm. of time and gas. Like that that's yeah. that's a very like five observation yes, in a way that I'm like I would never it wouldn't occur to me. Like but yeah, okay, I get that. Yes. <laughs> Kamika, was there anything from the teaching that really resonated with you? Yeah, I was surprised at how I was like, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. So the emails thing instead of meetings, absolutely. I hate meetings. I would much rather just everyone send out an email with the information needed and people can read them, you know, when they need to. So my job right now, the meetings are very concise and to the point. We don't spend a lot of time you know, talking about things that aren't necessary to talk about. But yeah, I've I've been in jobs before where they weren't in technology or they weren't in software development and the meetings would just go on and on. And I would just be like, why am I here? I don't need any of this information. <laughs> so yeah, that really resonated with me. Uh, and then studying relational cues as a tip was really interesting. I'd never really thought about that before. Although I will say I got involved in personality systems in order to relate better with people. Mm. But it kind of started to becoming a thing that took the place of relating with people. You know, instead of actually getting to know the person, I could just get to know the type. And then I'd have all this information about the type. It was like, doing the opposite of what I had originally tried to do as far as relating with the person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you find it easier to be a supervisor or to be supervised? Definitely to be supervised, but it's, it's like what you said. I hate being micromanaged. My lead at work, you know, he'll come around and be like, Hey, how's this project going? And it always makes me kind of nervous because I feel like I need to have something already done. And a lot of times I'm still researching or something. Even that level of management kind of puts me on edge. I like to be entrusted with a project and then just go and work on it in my own time and think about it in my own way and make my plan and then work on it. I'm not great with deadlines, but I know that they're a part of life, so I do my best. I have supervised before. It was not super enjoyable. Was it all just all the relational stuff just got taxing? Yeah, it was kind of, I think I burnt myself out. Like I do care about people and I care about my employees and my, um, you know, fellow employees. But as someone in charge, like people under me would come and talk to me about like their life problems and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was fine, except that I was trying to get work done. So I would feel like a need to support them and listen to them. But there is always this stressor of, you know, we've got these hard deadlines to meet and we were supposed to be working. Um, So that was a little bit tough. Yeah, yeah. And then also I kind of supervise the way that I like to be supervised where I'm like, here is this work that you need to do. Go do it and, you know, just tell me when you're done. But they needed more management. Yeah. I'd much rather, you know. Be entrusted to get it done yourself. Right. Yeah, exactly. Where do you see your true self showing up at work? Like what strengths do you bring to the table, you know, on a team or by yourself? So it's interesting because like I like to research. I love to learn. At my job, there's a lot to learn. There's always something new to learn. Every project I've taken on has involved something that I have never even 
looked at before. And so I'd have to go and research. You become like an expert pro level Googler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that I bring that to the table. But again, I work with a, a bunch of other software developers. So I feel like everyone that works as a software developer kind of has to bring those kind of things to the table. Like, I don't think it's a job that everyone would enjoy, but I do like to learn. I like to research. I like jumping into new things. I like just sitting at the computer and trying to figure stuff out. You know, I like to build things. I think it's a pretty good fit. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give an example of a time, you know, is there a story you could share of a time that your that your false self showed up at work and kind of what the fallout or consequences of that were? Yeah. So when I first started at this job, there's this thing in uh, the development world. I don't know if it's a term used everywhere else, but it's called uh, imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so imposter syndrome is this idea that you don't really belong because you somehow like bamboozled your way into this position. And so in the software development industry, there's a lot of that that happens. But for me, when I entered into the position that I'm at now, I was like this company's first non-traditional hire, which means like I wasn't like right out of school. I went to a boot camp to learn coding. You know, I'm, I'm a mom, I'm older. Like it was very intimidating. And so I think every day for about a year, I really struggled with like how much I didn't know. And I didn't know what I was supposed to know, like quote unquote, supposed to know. There's just a lot of fear going into the workplace. And so like, I wouldn't ask for help and I wouldn't seek out guidance or ask for advice on how to approach things. I would just kind of like put my head down and figure it out. I would work way more than I needed to work, just trying to keep up with everybody else who had already been there for several years. Whereas like if I had just asked for help and been more honest with how the amount of knowledge that I had, then I probably would have one, gotten my projects done faster, and then two, saved myself a lot of stress. And like been, you know, probably made some better relationships too, because you know, you have to interact with somebody when you ask for help. Right. Yeah, that was a good lesson. These days, I still struggle with that. It's always hard for me to ask for help. But my team has been really, they've been really helpful and really gracious. And of course, everyone there loves to share the knowledge that they have. So it's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's kind of funny, because like, no one wants to ask for knowledge, but everybody wants to share knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's a good lesson. I think that if I learned to ask for help earlier on, then my life would have been a lot easier at mm -hmm. the beginning. It's fascinating too, like, because one of the things, you know, that seems to come up often with type fives is the notion of like, it's all on me. Like I need to have enough mm -hmm. resources and information to be an autonomous, self-sustaining entity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, to hear you talk about man, if I had literally just asked for help, I would have had all the help I needed, you know, and my life would have been less stressful and I would have gotten things done faster. But that instinct inside, you know, says, 
don't ask for help. Like you might be seen as less competent, you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. It's funny that you say that because like, that's how I approach not just work, but everything. I just approach like I have to have the things that I need to be able to deal with whatever situation that I am. And if I don't, then like, I don't want to approach that situation. And I actually never really thought that you're not supposed to have all of the <laughs> all of the the knowledge that you're supposed to have in entering any kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Well, that really ties in with the gospel message that we talked about. That you know your needs are not a problem. That that is not intuitive for a five. They're not going in to the workplace thinking, "Oh, I can just ask for help. It's okay if I don't have everything that I need." That's not the message they have. Right. If I don't have what I need uh, information wise, then I better scramble to find it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So how does that shape you then? You know, this this gospel message that your needs are not a problem. Like, how does that strike you and how does it shape even the way you approach work? I mean, like when you think about it, it's such a, a simple concept that your needs aren't a problem, but like it's really freeing. I have a very hard time living life that way. Just like you said, instinctually, I think that my needs are going to be somebody else's burden. But when you were talking about earlier, you said that like God puts people in our lives to meet our needs. I don't even know if I've ever even thought of that concept before. I know God puts people in our lives, but usually it's, you know, because we need to grow or because we need to help them or there's like something that we can learn from each other. But I've never really thought of it in the way that God puts people in our lives to meet our needs. That's kind of crazy to me. It reveals like God's kindness um, in a way that I I don't often think that I think about enough. Mm. Yeah, it's it's very freeing and it's very like, I don't know, it's kind of like, I feel like my mind is always going, you know, because it needs to be always going. Like having my needs not be a problem feels like a place where I can rest, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, like your mind doesn't have to be vigilant all the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things we talked about is that fives can live into generosity through their growth era, which is you going to the eight. Mm-hmm. How do you live into your growth arrow and how does that show up at work? I actually love eights. Mm. Eights are some of my favorite people. I have a couple of best friends that are healthy eights. You know, they're always encouraging me to just in the way that they are, not even I mean, sometimes they'll directly tell me things, but just in the way that they live life, they just like, you know, encourage me speaking up for myself and encourage like getting what you need just because it's a need. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when I'm at work, I try to, if a new project comes up that I don't know anything about, I I just try to jump into it, believing that I will be able to like learn what I need to when I'm working on it. So Mm -hmm. I try to take action. I try to ask for help more. I try to say yes to projects that are unfamiliar. And I try not to be afraid to make mistakes, which means making decisions about my projects in a more timely fashion without trying to overthink every single angle, which I still struggle to not overthink everything. Yeah. Yeah. Progress, not perfection, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, trying to take action without overthinking it, trying to ask for help. Those are about asserting yourself and moving out of thought and into action. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
I think that's only appropriate because you're type five for us to put you up against a robot and see who's going to win. So when we come back, we're going to be playing Are You Smarter Than a Robot with Kamiko <laughs> Muwanguzi. Stay with us. On today's episode of the Cast, we're exploring type five, the thinker at work. Type fives are really good at seeing the big picture, gathering and synthesizing facts. Fives can really help us understand complex systems. And one complex system is actually found within our own evangelical culture. To hear more about this system, check out our other podcast, the Love That Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 39, where the gospel meets the evangelical industrial complex. You become a spiritual leader because you've got a million followers on Twitter. The problem is when we take good things and we make them into ultimate things. They know Carl's catchphrases. They know how to do Hillsong. They know how to imitate Carl. But I don't know that people are really meeting Jesus. I did find myself consumed by, you know, how many people are listening, how many people are engaging on social media. You can subscribe to the Love That Neighborhood podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts, or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. That's lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Hey, welcome back to the IndiaCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for Are You Smarter Than a Robot? Our game today is called Are You Smarter Than a Robot? This is sort of like the classic game Password, except your partner is a smart speaker. So here's how it works. I'm going to give you a word. It could be Enneagram-related, work-related, or just random. And then you, Kamiko, and Lindsay will take turns asking a question to try to get the smart speaker to say that word somewhere in its answer. For example, if the word is French fries, you might ask something like, what is a common side dish with hamburgers? If the speaker says the word, then you get a point. And if it doesn't, then the other person gets a chance to steal by asking a different question. If no one gets the word, we move on to the next one. We're gonna play five rounds. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. Are you all ready? Ready. Kamiko, you're gonna kill me at this. I've never spoken to Alexa in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, we'll see. I've never played this before. All right, here we go. So Kamiko, your word is Bluetooth. Oh, um, let me think. Alexa, what is a wireless communication device? Here's something I found on the web. According to yukon.edu, wireless communication devices are defined as cell phones, data card services, PDAs, Blackberries, trios or other telecommunication devices that have voice and or data capabilities with a monthly service fee. Dang it! Okay, so Lindsay, you have the chance (laughs) to steal. Yeah, I don't even know what a Bluetooth is. (laughs) Okay, Um, Alexa, what is a way that I can connect my phone to someone else? Here is what I found. Put your Bluetooth device in pairing mode. Open the Alexa app and select devices. This is the only time in my life I've been good at games. Alexa, stop. Nice, All right. nice, okay. nice. Okay, Lindsay gets one point. Woo. Okay, okay. now, Lindsay, you get to go first. 
Your word is career. Mm. Alexa, what is another word for job? Synonyms for job meaning employment include task, appointment, or office. For the meaning task, some synonyms include duty, task, or business. Oh, no. oh so man. Close. Okay, Kamiko, your chance to steal. Okay. Uh, Alexa, what do the biggest sources of stress come from? Here's something I found on the web. According to NIH.gov, other causes include illness, infection, injury, or severe physical or emotional stress. She did not understand the nature of your question. <laughs> I think Alexa was no, right. so, it. Yeah, yeah. I think the echo got the point on that one. Okay, <laughs> round three. Kamiko, your word is monkey. Alexa, what are some common jungle animals? Here's something I found on the web. According to reference.com, other jungle animals native to South and Central America include leopards, anacondas, harpy eagles, capuchin monkeys, macaws, piranha, woodcutter ants, and cougars. All right. Nicely done. All right, we have a tied game. Okay, round four. Lindsay, your word is podcast. (laughs) Alexa, what is the daily? Okay, but first... A quick update. If you'd prefer, you can still ask me to play your flash briefing at any time. Let's add local news to today's stories. Please tell me Alexa, your zip stop. code. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so you, you know what you did? You triggered, she heard a version of play the daily. Oh. And so you triggered uh, what's called a flash briefing where she starts giving you the news oh. for the day. Okay, Kamiko, your chance to steal. The word is podcast. Um... Alexa, what is my favorite murder? Hmm, I don't know that one. Oh. What? <laughs> you don't know my favorite murder? You're a robot. Come on. It would have been really unsettling if she'd been like, strangulation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess I didn't really think that that could have been an answer. <laughs> uh, okay, Lindsay, we're back to you. Your word is five. Alexa. Can you count to 10? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Very good. Very good. Nice, nice. Kamiko, don't feel bad. She's been destroying me all season long. Undefeated. (laughs) Yeah, Enneagram ones hate to lose. So, all right. And now it's time for listener questions. This question comes from Bonner Grahams. How do fives know when to avoid roles because they aren't a good fit versus missing out on a growth opportunity? Ooh, I would say if it involves a ton of activity where I'm interacting with a lot of people all the time, I know that's not going to be a good fit. Other than, you know, energy zapping, if I'm curious about it, then... I would enter into that role. I might even enter into a role not knowing if it would be a good fit, just out of curiosity. And then, you know, I mean, I can always leave that role if I need to. Yeah. I'm curious about this. Like, 
So for example, so in my role as the leader of Love That Neighborhood, I go from conversation to conversation and they are wildly different conversations. Like, Mm -hmm. would you imagine that to be very, very taxing for a five to that it's not even, they're not even in the same ballpark. Like one hour is one something and the next hour is something totally unrelated. Do you think that would be particularly challenging? Um, I don't know if that would be challenging as far as like going from subject to subject. I think it'd be more challenging going from person to person as far right. as like how much energy is required to make that person feel like they're being heard. So that would be the challenge. Also, it it depends. Like if the conversation is about a concept or problem solving or some kind of issue going on versus like something that's maybe kind of mundane. Mm -hmm. So it kind of depends like on. um, Is the content itself sort of engaging? Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, this question comes from Gina underscore PNW. Where are fives good in ministry? And specifically, where are fives good in ministry leadership? Oh, I don't know if like a specific role has to look a certain way. So I know that some fives, you know, there are five pastors and there are five teachers. And as long as they're managing their energy, I don't know if there's any role that a five can't do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that they would excel in like maybe kind of a mentoring type of situation where they're, they're dealing with just a few people and they're trying to teach them. So they probably be really good at discipling. Yeah. I think fives can do anything really. Yeah. I really look up to a few fives that are, one is a biblical scholar, you know, and Mm -hmm. he just knows so much, but he, is able to then give that information out to people in a way that is engaging and interesting and edifying because, Mm -hmm. you know, it would have taken us hundreds of hours to find that same information, but he can give it to us in 30 minutes. And I think kind of like you were saying with the mentorship, they can be really great spiritual directors because Mm -hmm. they really can listen and have that perspective and then give feedback without getting caught up in the emotions of the other person. Like they don't get caught up in the drama, but they have great insight into the situation. Yeah. Cause I even think of like uh, Jim Cofield, you know, that was previously mm-hmm. on the show and he trained us in the Enneagram, great spiritual director. I think of Sky Jatani, you know, I mean, good grief. Podcasting exists because of fives. Mm-hmm. Like, and <laughs> if you think of like fives is just great communicators, Tim Keller, brilliant five, yes. you know, uh, the ability to just take so much information throughout history and just, you know, make it accessible for others. But I also know, you know, fives are great counselors and Mm -hmm. graphic designers that work on teams. I mean, there's so many different roles. Yeah, absolutely. All right. This question comes from Don Z. Lee. Is it okay to be comfortable in your job? I'm a freelance graphic designer and I work by myself, which I love, (laughs) but work doesn't stretch me relationally. Is it okay to work in a comfortable space? I don't know why it wouldn't be. I mean, I think that working in a comfortable space is fine. If you like what you do and it's good to be challenged, but I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, some people they have 
really easy jobs and they're providing for their families or, you know, it's a means to an end. I've had jobs where that were not particularly challenging, but I was able to provide for my family. I think wherever you're at, you do your best. If you're at a job and it's becoming comfortable because you are isolating yourself from everybody and you don't want to talk to anyone or see anyone ever, then yeah, I think that's probably not great. But I think you just do your best wherever you are. Yeah, two thoughts come to mind. I think that the answer is yes, you can totally do that. I think there's a warning that comes with it, which I think, Kamiko, you just alluded to, which is if you notice that by being alone all day long that you are becoming more reclusive in other areas of life, then I think that is a sign that you're heading towards an unhealthy uh, an unhealthy direction that's really going to bring harm to your life. Mm-hmm. You need to be aware that if you become so comfortable being alone that you actually prefer to be alone in terms of you really don't want to socialize with others and that's permeating your life in other areas, I think that that's a sign that that job could be harming you. Mm -hmm. Um, What I would add to that, though, is this. Fives, of all the Enneagram types, you all are the most aware of your relational fuel and you're very selective on where you spend it. So if you choose to have a job where you don't have to spend a lot of relational fuel, that's cool, but you owe it to the rest of your community to spend it on them in the evenings Mm -hmm. and the weekends. So you're banking your fuel all day long by working alone but that does mean you need to be giving that away elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, Kamika, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been good. Special thanks to our guest today, Kamiko Muwanguzi. Teaching and content for this episode comes from Crosspoint Ministry, Beatrice Chestnut, and Kim Eddy. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year and grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was edited by Rachel Zabo, Lindsay Lewis, and myself. Rachel is also our media director and producer. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. 